Hi, everyone, and welcome to Not So Silent Reading. Hi, Katie. Hi, Shasha. How's it going? It's going great. Um, it's a beautiful, it was a beautiful Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it was raining, but that's Seattle for you. Right. <laughs> I'm down December. in LA with my mom and it was a beautiful, sunny, clear skies kind of day, but a crisp like 55 degrees. So as Wonderful. LA, as winter as LA does. <laughs> yeah. I um, popped open a little bit of cider um, that I'm drinking because you inspired me. You just I was, I had texted you for our listeners. I texted Katie and was like, are you going to drink alcohol during this? Cause if so, then I will too. <laughs> and since I had already started drinking, I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> and, you know, um, as we were discussing before, you know, life can be short and unexpected. And you know what, if you've got a great Saturday night with your best friend and talking about things you love, like, why not? Yeah, turn yeah. into a party with a glass of wine exactly. or a little like, cider. What are, we, what are we waiting for? No time like the present. No so. time like the present. You only uh, YOLO once. Exactly. <laughs> um, so this, today's episode is like, like I was saying before we started recording, my favorite of the year, because it's our best books of the year recap, um, where we just get to like, talk about what we love to read. Mm. Um, so it's just very fun. It was very fun to like go back through my list of books that I read this year and then pick out um, what I liked. Did you notice any themes in the ones that kind of stuck out to you? Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, let me pull up the list. I don't know that I noticed themes between these ones. I guess there's kind of a theme, um, but what I did, I went really nerdy and I made an Excel spreadsheet and I put all wow. the books that I read. <laughs> I counted them up, then I categorized them and then I did a breakout of like what percentage of books by genre I read, you know, over the year. Wow. Okay. Yeah, what are you doing? Like uh turntables? What's the table called? Excel has a funny table name. Oh pivot know. tables. Yeah. Pivot, pivot tables. tables. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> So, um, yeah, I did a little analysis there. Um, and then I went, then I was like, okay, then I'm going to do like, what were the good books of the year? And then what mm -hmm. were the great? Cause there were some really good ones, but then I was mm -hmm. like, what were really the like standout? Um, yeah. so I'm just like very, yeah. Love that. Now, these, these didn't come out necessarily this year, but there were no same with mine. Yeah. These are just the ones I read this year. My, the exactly. top five of books I read this year, even if they uh, were older than that. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, I was talking to my cousin who is a youth um, and she has been on book TikTok. And we've been talking you know, about she's the a youth. If she talks <laughs> about TikTok, because right. yes. us know how to use it. <laughs> And she could like cultivate it into like a book TikTok. So yeah, she was telling me, she was asking me about recommendations and she told me that she was going to read A Court of Thorns and Roses um, because book TikTok told her about it. And then she was also asking me about Red Queen uh, by Victoria Aviard, which is also a series I enjoyed, but we were discussing the nuance between great and good. And I think the Red Queen is good. And I think A Court of Thorns and Roses is great. So love that we're distinguishing that here too. What's your what's your like distinct, like, how do you, what makes a book great versus good in your mind? Oh, thank you for asking. I have strong <laughs> feelings about this. So I, a good book is like a compelling story. I enjoy the world that they've created and we just plod through it together. And there is some suspension of disbelief because you're just like, yeah, yeah I get it. It's a, this is a story we just got to get from A to Z. Um, a great book I think is when there are rules to the world that you understand clearly and there are stakes that you understand clearly and by the climactic scenes you're so invested in what they've created that like it is so evocative or like compelling that you have to keep reading um I never got that with the Red Queen and I, I enjoyed those books and I could like breeze through them but with like A Court of Thorns and Roses like after some like big scenes or big revelations I would be like I, what? I need to sit with this. Like I am, I'm in it. And so I think that there is that emotional response is indicative of all of the other, like behind the scenes work that these authors can do. Um, and like upon rereads, I can really clearly see like what I love about A Court of Thorns and Roses is like it's character development and like characters get to learn 
Um, and it's not just the same shtick over and over again. It is like they're evolving and like you're going with them on that journey. Um, and like the stakes of the world learn, like learn a little bit too. So, or like elevate. So it just becomes a little different. Um, so that's, that's a big distinction for me. Um, predictability doesn't really factor in for me because I am always pleasantly surprised. That's not that, like, even if it's forecast, what's going to happen, I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> so it's much more about like, I don't under, like if I get mad, if it's particularly fantasy stories, I get mad if I don't understand the rules of the magic. If magic can just solve all the problems then I'm big mad at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I and I kind of like, well, what did I read this for? Like, if, right? Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna magic our way out of this. Like, <laughs> magic is fine, obviously. Like, love magic, but like, one of the things, like, I think that was a triumph of Harry Potter. Like, the magic had clear rules that did not solve all the problems. Um, and so I like that part too. Like, that's another part too of like the plotting of it too. So that's what that's how I think about. It. Do you have a distinction of how you think about I, good versus great? I thought about this today because yeah, it was like hard to, it was hard to make the distinction. And then yet it was easy because I think for me, good versus great, a great book is, I think has re re readability, particularly Mm. for fiction, um, where I'm like, would I read this book again? Um, and so that's generally what I think makes book great. I also think is like, would I recommend this to a friend above all others, like out of all Mm -hmm. the books I read, like, which are the ones I would really like urge someone or like Mm -hmm. pound the table for and be like, you have to read this like this. Mm -hmm. So that would be a second factor is like, would I recommend it? But like, not just recommend it like, oh yeah, it's fine. But like, I, I like, you need to read this book and here's why like that kind of, um, level of recommendation. And then third I think would be like, did it fundamentally alter the way I think about something or the way Mm -hmm. I have a perspective? Like, did it change a perspective? Like there were some books I was going back through and I honestly couldn't even remember the story. I was like, what was that about? Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't even remember. So like, and then it would come back to me and be like, okay, yeah, that was enjoyable. But if I can't even remember what the plot was or what the like main highlights were, then clearly it's not a great book. And in my, Mm -hmm. I guess in my like matrix of evaluation um right in your spreadsheet on my spreadsheet yeah (laughs) I well my my new year's resolution last year for books was to keep track better track of what I read because I the year before I just didn't really write it down so when we were doing this I was like shit I can't remember what I read so I had to like really dig so this year I tried to do it and I did an okay job um not perfect but better than last year so I'll take that as a win um And then, yeah, I entered all of them in an Excel spreadsheet. So cute. So, so cute. Um, but I do want to just plus one you to the idea, like particularly thinking about the nonfiction books that are on my list. Like yeah. they did fundamentally change how I think about things. Um, like they, they opened up how I'm thinking um, because of new information and perspectives. And that that is also what made them great and put them on this list. Yeah. Um, I... Also, I mean, I do have a few, um, I don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions, mm-hmm. but I, I do have like thoughts for next year of like, what do I want my book focus to be? Um, and I'd Ooh. be curious if you have any, but maybe we can save that for the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll close out with those thoughts. Yeah. Um, anyways. Love it. So we're so, ready to kick off with our first book. Yeah. And for the audience listening, we decided on five books each. We mm-hmm. were initially going to go with three, which is, I think what we did last year, but it was so just too. too hard to whittle yeah. it down. So um, we're each going to do five. So we'll, I guess we'll just alternate and um, mine will be in no particular order. Cause I don't think I can actually rank them. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to um, go by, I think author alphabetical last name. Um, I don't know if you have an ordering Katie or ranking. Nah. Okay. Do you want to, I think I'm starting with like, not my weakest choice, but like, probably I'm starting probably with my number five. And then as I go on, it'll get harder to differentiate. So I'll, I'll, I'd be happy to kick us off. Yeah, please, please do. Okay. So, um, speaking of a court of thorns and roses, my number five is a court of silver flames. It is book four in the a court of thorns and roses series. And it did come out this year in February of this year. Um, 
so that series, there's three books that precede this one and like one kind of novella. Um, and so this was the one where, um, if you're familiar, Nesta um, is the as the protagonist in this book. So this is all told from her perspective. And what I really loved about it, and this is a deeply flawed book, I will admit, um, but what I really loved about it was there was a lot of uh, honesty about like the PTSD that a character would have experienced going through what the character experienced. So she's kind of trying to wrestle with a lot of pain that is internal and um, emotional distress and depression and anxiety. And there's like real like useful things that are being like provided to her as methods of support. And like, she kind of finds her way through it. And like, I thought a really compelling way, like in a lot of ways, she's still awful. And there's still a lot of like, sometimes like magic does kind of just solve all the problems in this book, which I don't love, but the kind of human element that is driving the character was so strong, it made it to the great list for me. Um, I'm so glad you um, chose that book because on my list, and now I'm going out of order of what I said I would, because I said I was going <laughs> alphabetical order, but because you brought it up. Yeah. My, um, one of my books was A Court of Thorn and Roses, which is one of the series um, that Katie just mentioned. And yeah, I have to give great thanks to Katie because she's the one who introduced me to the series and told me I absolutely had to read it. And I immediately fell in love with it. Um, I think I borrowed your copy at first and then gave it back to you. And then I found this copy at a used bookstore and was like, well, I need a copy for when I read it. Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Um, So I don't know that I necessarily, like I've read up through book four or up through book three. I don't think I've read the one that you mentioned, but I picked the first one and I don't know that it's my favorite one necessarily, but I do think because it's the origin story and kind of the start of the series that Mm -hmm. I just, that's, you know, I feel like you have to read the first one to read the rest. Um, yeah. So I can't, yeah. I think since both of us put this part of the series on our list and it won a great reads book award this year for best. Good reads. Yeah. Um, what did I say? Great. Reads. Great reads. Difference between great and good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they should have great reads. Not they great should. Reads. They sell um, themselves short. <laughs> Uh, I have to disclaim that everything is my own uh, opinion here because I do work for the parent company. So, oh yeah, okay, um, good, smart, I'm affiliated. <laughs> All right, put some fine print at the end of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, so awesome. Well, love I it. love that we're in agreement there. Love that too. Uh, okay, what's your number two? Okay, um, so my number two is going to be uh, the wreckage of my presence. Oh, I'm so glad you put that on there because it's yes. my list and I just want it to be recognized. It was a tough one. Like it, it was, I'm like, do, you know, like I did love it, but like, should it be in my top five? And I think it should. And I made the argument, the case I made to myself was, um, there's something really compelling about having someone reflect on like their life and like, particularly like her grief and like her pain, um, and how she kind of navigated through it. And like, I really enjoy seeing depictions of like adult women with like really healthy and robust friendships as well, which was also in there. Um, but I just, I've been thinking, you know, life is short, but like life is also long and it's really nice to see these story arcs and like, um, she talks a little bit about like the devastation she felt after SNL uh, didn't work out. She wasn't invited back for another season. Um, and it turns out that that like led her to happy endings as her next job, um, which is where she met her future husband. Like all of these like great things come out of it. And so it's really nice to kind of take a step back and think about um, how all these little things that happen in our life can take us in these different directions. And like, what a nice, mystery that that adds to things and then another piece that she touches on is um she talks a little bit about going to overeaters anonymous and like her mother's experience with like weight loss and that has been um something that is going to tie into another book that I chose and another thing I've been kind of thinking about this year so that element also added like a reality of like you know what like the expectations of women are truly extraordinary and it is bullshit that we have to like live up to this weird ideal and like the cost is actually like extremely damaging so uh I really enjoyed the kind of like honest look at that particularly for someone who's in show business yeah um 
That's yeah. It is a great book. And it's just like a laugh out loud funny. It is truly joyful to read, um, even though it wrestles with these like big ideas. Yeah. And I would, um, oh, I was going to say, I would point people to the podcast episode we did about it. We did do a podcast episode and I don't know what happened in the recording, but. Um, oh, was that the recording that died? That didn't work? Yeah, that was the one oh, that like no. died somewhere in the abyss in of the interwit- my <laughs> lack of technical <laughs> abilities. Um so it was a good book though. We did really like it. That's we did. kind of a bummer. We should re-record that maybe, but okay. Anyways, <laughs> um, okay. So my next book, this was really hard, um, but I'm going to go with Devil in the White City by Eric oh. Larson, which is a book that you've probably seen on like every bookstore, like bestseller list. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a while. Um, I think that it was on sale when I was working at Romans right after we graduated <laughs> but, from high school. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's been around probably for like 12 or 15 years. I had never read it. Um, I was like, how could a book about Chicago in the 18, I think it's like 1890s or something mm-hmm. be interesting. Um, and what ended up happening is I read another book that almost made it to the top five called in the garden of beasts, which is written by the same author about, um, the ambassador, the U S ambassador to Germany who moves over to Germany in 1932, um, and is there from 32, I think through 36, Mm -hmm. if I'm getting my dates right. And he kind of talks, you know, is the one who kind of sees Hitler rising in Germany before really, um, people realized what a terrible person this guy was or what he could really do in terms of Mm -hmm. negative and negative impact into Europe and um it's just fascinating because it's from the perspective of like they he writes it in a way that you don't know what's going to happen yet Mm um anyways I was torn between choosing that book over this book but I think if I were to recommend to someone an introduction to Eric Larson I do think the devil in the white city is a more like um like capturing read uh Mm. and more of like a mystery so I think it's more captivating and easy to read whereas in the garden of beasts is definitely more historical and a little more dense um Mm. but if you're a historical buff and like a world war ii buff it is absolutely a must read so kind of those two I'm trying to like basically shove two books into one slot I I see what you did did there you may basically chose an author not a book yeah basically (laughs) and I read a third book by him this year the splendid in the vial which is about Churchill and like um, the, the air bombings of London, but anyways, during the world war two devil in the white city lives up to why it's been on like all these lists for all these years. Um, really, really recommend it if you have not read it yet. Okay. Love it. <laughs> Back to you. Uh, okay. So <laughs> dear listeners, you might have seen that there was a new Billy holiday movie that came out, uh, this year starring Andre day. Um, what you may not have known was that that movie was based on a book called Chasing the Scream. Um, and let me just pull up the author's name so I give credit where credit is due. Chasing the Scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs by uh, Johan Hari. And it was uh, a revelatory book. We, we've now moved into my nonfiction section. My top three are all nonfiction. Um, and this one was really shocking. Um I think that we, well, I, I won't say, I won't say the royalty, but um, Charlotte and I probably definitely grew up in this kind of era of like the war on drugs and like dare programs from an early age and marijuana is a gateway drug and I'm a full grown adult and still very scared of drugs. <laughs> um, and so they worked on me is all I'm saying, but that book was really um, enlightening in thinking about what we have chosen to criminalize, how we've chosen to prosecute, um, who we've chosen to prosecute, uh, what the carceral state is doing to those who've been prosecuted. It is, it was shocking. And like, what was interesting, why the movie kind of sparked my interest is um, I am like a big Nina Simone fan and Billie Holiday, I did not know much about. She predated Nina Simone. um, And so I felt like, you know what, if I'm going to be listening to 
uh, a civil rights queen, like Billie Holiday just feels a little different to me. Little did I know that Billie Holiday was actually really the first victim of the war on drugs. And um, in an effort to, from the FBI to get her to stop singing Strange Fruit, which she originated, um, they persecuted her for her drug addiction. And she had a really traumatic childhood, used drugs to self-medicate, like, and basically, basically ended up dying um, in a hospital under arrest uh, because the FBI didn't leave her alone, even when she was at the tail end of her life. So it was a really fascinating read to think about who has the power to make those decisions, why they choose to make them, what weird moral authority gets used. And it just helped me think more questioningly um, about the narrative we've been given or I've been given or how I've interpreted it. Um, and so I think a lot differently about my own kind of policy opinions, um, who I'm choosing to support and how with charitable giving, like all that stuff has now kind of mapped out a little differently uh, because I started to really question the foundational things. I was thinking about who is worthy of help and support and who is not based on how the war on drugs has played out. Um, so that was, I thought, a really phenomenal read and a great addition to my bookshelf. And the movie is also very good. <laughs> I love Andre Day. Um, she's me too. great, and you actually introduced me to her when with her song "Rise Up." So yeah, again, she did a Tiny Desk concert, uh, and that was how I met her, or how introduced was introduced to her. Uh, and she is not here to play. She's very good. Um, yeah, love. Uh, I want to read it. I've not read it, so yeah. I would love to read that. Very good. Um, yeah, the next uh, book on my list is a book called Codename Helen by mm -hmm. Arielle Lahorn. Um, it's fiction, but it is based on a true story, which is um, what blew me away. It's the story of a Australian um, journalist or kind of writer who um, she's married to a Frenchman and she goes, um, she basically gets involved with the French resistance during World War II and Ooh. ends up kind of leading a bunch of resistance mostly men fighters um and has really a, I don't want to spoil it too much um but really an, an incredible story um that is super powerful and I just loved it so much more that it was based on a real woman and a mm -hmm. real story and I just can't believe that this one like I had never heard of her before um I was kind of blown away by that because I I do read a lot about World War II history I, I mean honestly your list so far is very World War II heavy <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I guess two out of, is, uh, well, I guess, yeah, in the Garden of Beasts was really, um, was World War II also. So I just oh, yeah. loved this book. Um, I think it's like got all the elements of like great read. Also, you learn about history. Also, it's a real story. It's a like really phenomenal woman who was, I think, ahead of her time. Um, and there's a lot about the power of love and sacrifice that is again, without spoiling too much, um, I thought really resonated with me. So um, that would be my third pick. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be adding that to my list as well. Um, to My to read list, not my yeah. top five list. Um, love that. Um, so my next two are pretty interchangeable for me. Um, so I think I'm going to choose. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to choose uh, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. Um, she is the host of, or one of the co-hosts of Maintenance Phase, which is a terrific podcast. Um, and she wrote this book, uh, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. And it was really uh, revolutionary to me. Both her pod, like first her podcast was really useful to me personally in trying to kind of decouple the idea that like weight loss needed to be an imperative and there was a healthy weight that I should be at and all of the pressures that puts on people. Um, but this book was really fascinating to read because she talked about the actual like implications that our policy and like our policies and like our society have on people who are fat. And like, there's kind of a, a couple scales, <laughs> not intended um, for how she thinks about people. And like, she would say that she's like um, very fat. And so she's probably in the 300 pound range, but like there's policy implications when it gets like larger than that um, access to care 
how eating disorders are diagnosed, um, ability to travel, the cost of travel, um, ability to just move through the world is heavily impacted by size and like perception. And so what was, she, I mean, there was just so many elements that she kind of walked through in that book that were really revelatory for like how to like be a person and like interact with people. Uh, like, I think that there's that, you know, there's all these like, I, I, particularly since I've read that book, I've really noticed the kind of like fat phobic comments that come across in almost every comedy you've ever seen. Um, and so what has been useful and like interesting is like, you can't fix a problem until you start to recognize it. Like you can't be part of a solution until you recognize that there's a problem. Um, and there was this one anecdote in the book that she, she talks about. She also pairs in like these like this research and policy driven kind of like conversation with her own experiences, like a woman in a fat body trying to move through the world and like what that has felt like. Um, and so I think at one point she was maybe 350 pounds and on a small commuter flight because something got jostled around. And so she pre-boards, she has her own seatbelt extender, like knows kind of how to travel and how difficult it can be to travel. And, um, had told a story earlier in the book about like how um, a man had asked to change seats so he didn't sit next to her um, because of her weight and her size and he ended up just sitting and right physically in the first like the row right in front of her so she still was proximate to him which is like uncomfortable and awful and um, as they were deplaning he said like I wouldn't have done this like if you were pregnant and like trying to be like a good guy about it but like she's like I I know (laughs) like I know the why you did it um and then she talks about she went to a bathroom and cried for 30 minutes before she could even like make it through the airport um and then she's on this other little commuter plane and uh a a basketball college basketball team boards the plane and she's just like mentally preparing herself for like what this is going to look like these are the kind of planes where it's like two seats on either side of the aisle and that's the whole plane and so she's on the window seat and a guy comes down the aisle seat and he's six four college basketball player and he tries to sit down his knees are too big and he looks to her and says oh doesn't seem like this plane was built for either of us and like to me that just is like a charming way to, <laughs> to approach it because airplanes are not built for most people they're awful they're really not they're really not <laughs> um and so it was just really fascinating to like think about that and I also have been following Lindy West for a lot of years and like the vitriol that she gets for just being like a fat woman on the internet is like really constant and like to the point where she opted out of social media because it wasn't healthy for her um like she was getting death threats had to confront her trolls all that kind of stuff and so um the weight is like a part of this and so this was a really fascinating book to hear about the kind of policy things how you know BMI has changed and like it means nothing and like you know it it just is a fascinating way for me to remember that like there is not objectively a healthy weight like everybody is going to be healthy at a different weight all you can do is like eat the vegetables that like make you feel good move your body in a way that is like healthy and joyful and like be kind to people full stop like that's it (laughs) um although she did give very specific policy um recommendations at the end of the book which were like part of again which made me rethink about how we have these conversations and so um like what foods are are covered on like snap and like ebt programs um what kind of healthcare is available what gets cut from healthcare at certain sizes like there's just all sorts of like real things that we could like have conversations about how we think about nutrition um so i really deeply enjoyed that book and like it really made me think a lot um, in ways that I never, uh, you know, it's just information and a perspective I'd never been introduced to before. And like, it was done with like humor and empathy and honesty. So just could not recommend that book higher, more highly. It was wonderful. I would also love to read that. I, um, you introduced me again, another great Katie recommendation, um, to the podcast maintenance phase. And I've listened to that a few times. Um, and it's very good. I highly recommend, um, anyone who's kind of interested in exploring some of the topics around our culture and current culture and, and weight and how we talk about it. And like these fad diets, um, they do really great, um, talks about it. I don't know. I've enjoyed it. Oh no, is there tech issues? I can't hear Katie anymore. Hello. 
Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you okay. hear me? I think it cut out, but yeah. we're back on. Okay, good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I was just recommending the podcast. I don't know if you. Okay, good. Know. Yeah, I, I, I froze and so I was like, uh oh. Um, but yeah, the podcast is great. The maintenance based podcast. Um, yeah. They did a episode. The one that sticks out in my mind is about Oprah's like wheel of fat or wagon of wagon fat. of fat. Yeah. Um, like one of her most famous episodes that she did, and it is like they did a deep dive into that, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the one that they did on eating disorders, which was was one of my favorites because it was uh, first of all, a disclaimer: if uh, you have a passive with of disordered eating, it might not be the episode for you. Um, but they talked about how behavior, like diagnosis was dependent on your BMI. And so if you had a BMI of 17 or lower, which is extremely thin, you would be diagnosed with anorexia. Anything above 17, it was atypical anorexia. Um, and that was because they, the, the, the idea that if you're fat, you can't have an eating disorder, um, which is provably not true. <laughs> so, uh, they, and they self-identify as methodology, methodology queens, which I also love, um, like the research that they do and like the depth of that research is incredible every episode. Yeah. They do a really good job. Yeah. Um, okay. You're awesome. Button. Yeah. That's an awesome yeah. recommendation. Um, okay. So I'm really torn. I'm honestly like still looking at these top three, like mm -hmm. I, don't know, I might just call an audible and do six. I, well, I, I okay. Like, well, I could do say I have a six too. Cause okay. I have one that I cut that I don't love that I cut, but I, okay maybe so, let's just do six each love it I'm perfect really struggling with these last two okay good um, go okay so that makes me feel better so I'm gonna go with um the spy and the traitor which is my next book um Ooh. I've told like everyone I I know about this book uh it's a, the story of it's nonfiction. it's the story of um, a KGB spy during the Cold War in the 80s who um, was stationed in London and who was basically one of the top spies um, who fed the West a bunch of information during the Cold mm -hmm. War and was the, one of the, the West, like probably one of the most valued um, spies. And it talks about his story about how he got into spying against the KGB or kind of being a double agent. And then also... Um, it also talks about there was at the same time a CIA, a, a guy in the CIA who was spying um, and feeding information to the Soviets. And um, so it kind of parallels those two stories together. Um, there's also at the end, uh, this KGB spy goes back to Moscow as he's being burned um, and his name got out as uh, someone who was leaking information to the West and the West basically, or the, the MI5, um, the London agents try to get him out of Russia in the middle of the cold war as like he's basically been found out um and they try to do this insane escape out of russia and i won't give away more than that but i just loved this book um it's like written really well it's fast paced i love like again i guess my theme is maybe history or historical <laughs> fiction because that's the theme that seems to be coming out but um it's, it's just a great, uh, a really cool read if you like any kind of spy novels or kind of spy history. Um, the Americans. Yeah, The Americans. The show. Very, very on brand with The Americans. <laughs> very on brand with like um, any John le Carre novel, um, you know, Born, Born Identity or any of those oh, yeah. books. Like that kind of, it has that feel. Um, but it's a true story, which makes it like even more remarkable. Um, Love so. a based on a true story. Yeah. So there we go. Love it. Um, speaking of true stories, uh, this is the one that I'm adding back in to get us to six. Uh, so not not a nonfiction, but more memoir. Um, and it's Misfits by Michaela Cole. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar to you, you may be familiar with her work, uh, Chewing Gum was her TV show. Um, and more recently, I May Destroy You on HBO. Um, and so this is a book that it was based off of her uh, lecture that she gave at the Edinburgh Festival and I believe it's called the yeah the Edinburgh Festival McTaggart lecture um where she was invited to talk and she talked about um a lot of the plot of uh I May Destroy You is based on a, an experience that she had with a sexual assault and uh she it talks she talks about the ability to like speak your truth and like kind of like claim your power, but it's not in like a raw, raw girl boss kind of way. Um, it's, 
it's it's this honest, real introspection, like kind of into these systems that are not set up to support her and like her recognition that these systems are not set up to support her. And so for her to get the support she needs, like she needs to create it or take it. Um, and it's a really fascinating uh, journey through her thought process. And it's really powerful. And like you could, I mean, it's a short book because it really does feel like it's her lecture notes, um, but it is incredibly compelling writing. and a really brave and like strong perspective of being able like backstory this is not in the book but just like a sense of like kind of how she got there was um Netflix offered her I think a million dollars for uh I May Destroy You and she said no because they wouldn't let her retain control um and so she said no I'll, I'll keep it she didn't know if another wow. like uh offer would come uh and then HBO comes a knocking um and lets her have like the creative direction and creates this incredible show um, where she kind of gets to take the power back um, from a situation where she had no power. And it is uh, a force of nature for, I think, particularly like, women to wrestle with the ways in which like the world is not set up for us full stop. And like, how do you create a way in it? Like, where do you figure out where like how where your power lies and how to seize it and um not have the the voice in your head which is in my head all the time of like apologizing like I just um, I don't think I want to have this Netflix deal like I'll, I'll wait and see like I'll get back to you. or like how I am in uh, emails where it's like I put a bunch of exclamation points so everybody knows that I'm nice <laughs> um and all of these ways in which we think to navigate the world and to see someone who intentionally chooses a very different path I think is really wonderful to see and like I'm eager for the day where these stop being so moving to me and become more normal and less the exception um but that was just a deeply powerful uh I mean her 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 skill with words is unrivaled and um to have her story and her content and her perspective and her skill with words it's going to be I mean it was just such a compelling read um can't, cannot recommend highly like it, it, it's tough to talk about I think that was part of what made me think I wasn't going to include it in my top five is like uh like uh, how do you kind of like conceptualize it but fuck it it's great do it read it <laughs> I will also add that and it's also been on my list to watch I may not I may destroy you which I've not seen yet I'm ashamed to say because I know everyone I've talked to has it is not light viewing so I don't I don't know that that show is for everyone it is yeah as art phenomenal um but it is it's gonna it it is very triggering um in a lot of ways it is it is difficult I cannot watch it again that I do know Mm -hmm. uh it's not on a rewatch kind of list for me (laughs) yeah um but it was wonderful beautifully done well this is my book that I initially didn't include in my top five, but now that mm-hmm. we're doing six, because I really did want to, and we, we did a whole episode about this, so I won't spend too much time on it, but it's cast by Isabel Wilkerson, mm-hmm. um, which I guess kind of counts as like end of 2020 slash 2021, because it took me a little while to read it, but um, it's dense. it is dense. Um, I just think it was one of those books. The reason why I wanted to include it in a top book is it really fundamentally changed a lot of things that I, um, how I viewed certain aspects of our society in the U.S., but also um, in other countries. And I think um, she, the the author, she just makes some really amazing um, points and illustrations using history um, that had not, that I had not been aware of before. And so um, I, yeah, I felt like I couldn't not include it. I think the reason why I hesitated was I do think it can be dense and it is long and it's, it's not an easy read, not only because, Mm -hmm. um, I think the topic is heavy and I think as though, um, especially as a white person who's privileged in this country because of the, you know, just nature of what color skin you were born with, um, you know, you really have to grapple with some introspection and some things that are not very comfortable um and but that's important to do I think um but yeah it's not always the most um comfortable thing right um no yeah I I think it really did change a lot of um perspectives for me so 
um, I urge yeah anyone to to read it really yeah big plus one that's a great choice um I actually was kind of surprised when like I was making finalizing my list and it wasn't as high as it was and maybe it was because we talked about it so much that I was like yeah. ah, I feel like I've covered that <laughs> that's kind of why I was also like well we did a whole episode on that so I don't like I want to mm-hmm. highlight other books that I haven't talked about on this pod as well but and then I there's me doing like- the wreckage of our presence <laughs> Yeah, well, that one we like <laughs> audio, so you know. Um, yeah, but I, I just feel like it's it's kind of like one of those books that I feel like we'll be reading 30, 40 years from now. Like, yeah. right, like it will be part of required reading in schools and should be. Well, so. we'll see. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh God, I've got to be more optimistic than that. Gotta. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, my last book um, is, I will admit, a book I am currently reading and I have not completed yet, but it just came out on Tuesday, so cut me some slack, listeners. Um, And that book, let me get the full title because it's freaking great. Um, Please hold. Let's take, it was not on my Goodreads app, which is where I store all my stuff. Um, Maybe I should do that rather than keep, I've been like sending myself emails every time I finish a book. That seems like, yeah, I just do good reads. Well, in fairness, it's easier when I'm on my Kindle, and it's not great when I'm reading um, hardcover books. But, dun dun dun. Hey, why is it not loading? Whatever. Okay. Um, the book is Out of Office by uh, Helen Ann Peterson and Charlie Wurzel. Um, and I forget the, the subtext or the subtitle is also very good. So, Oh yeah, here we go. Um, out of office, the problem and promise of re- um, remote work. And so uh, I have a slightly new job where I am doing this kind of work at my job that is a paid thing, um, which is very cool for me, but it's really complicated and hard. And uh, we live in a deeply capitalist society where we orient ourselves around work. And this book is really trying to have us think differently about um what the knowledge worker life could be. And so to caveat, um, most knowledge workers who are, were eligible to do this kind of hybrid or remote work in America during this pandemic is only about 40% of the workforce. So it's not a, an all encompassing thing, um, but it is really fascinating to hear them talk about the ways in which uh, we could think differently about flexibility and how companies have been using flexibility as like a code word to become more like lean and nimble. And it just means like removing benefits and worker protection. Um, And what flexibility could actually mean is like, what if we didn't orient our whole lives around our jobs? What if we did kind of create space for being like active, having hobbies, contributing to our communities? Like what if if we thought about flexibility differently? And they talk about how we seem to be at a moment where there's the opportunity to really rethink this. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, there really flexibility was for some folks, but not all. And there was always this kind of undercurrent of if you were flexible or remote, you had to be hyper productive and show that you were productive and doing all these kind of things to signal that you were like working really hard, even if you weren't in the office. Um, And what if that was not the norm? Um, And how could we kind of create that? And so they're very clear, it's not a high to how to manual. Um, But they have this great quote at the beginning of the book that is about how the promise of um, remote work and hybrid work arrangements is that like there's going to be it's going to unshackle workers from like the commute and the office but the reality is is like it could also capitalize on on the complete collapse of work-life balance Um, and so how do we kind of design it better and so uh, I'm a little less than halfway through the book and already like this is the most highlighted I've ever had a Kindle book be Um, it's just like bars after bars like it's so good um and it's really making me think differently about uh how I rest from work and so I think particularly in the pandemic um it's been very easy to be like okay I could have got away from like this computer screen and like I'll make a meal and then I'll sit down and watch tv or I'll go for a walk and then I'll sit down and watch tv um and that has been like kind of nice. It's soothing. It's comforting. But like, what are like if I could invest in hobbies or if I could think about hobbies or other things I want to be doing that are just for like the joy of doing them? Like, what would that be? And so I'm starting to kind of think a little bit differently about my 
my unpaid work and like my not working hours um, and how to use that time better so that I can show up fulfilled to my job, but also leave it when it's done. Um, and I think that, that as a society and particularly, I mean, candidly, Shar and I are both knowledge workers and we are in this kind of bubble of folks who are like us. So if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably also in that boat um, and could probably also use some help thinking about how to decouple uh, work from your life a little bit more. <laughs> Um, again, like a way to combat burnout and like all these other things, because um, the thing about working from home is that you're living at work. And so how could we be better about all of that? Um, and I really think that this book is beautifully done and written and researched and is compelling and like useful in thinking about that. Um, so <laughs> anybody who's been working from home or wants to work from home or has some plan at some point in their life to do something like that, I think this is a going to be an essential thing for you to think about how you would set this up for yourself. I definitely have to read that. Um, I have definitely grappled with over the last year and a half in particular, like some restlessness and like um, some positive parts of working from home, but there's also definitely, I think, an impact in terms of my anxiety and depression that I deal with. And um kind of the social, like I've real, I know this about myself, but I forget it somehow during the pandemic that I'm a very social person in the sense that I get a lot of energy from being around others at the office and, um, liked, always liked having the structure of an office generally. Um, and I was actually talking to my doctor a few weeks ago and saying like, you know, Oh, I feel okay. Energy wise. And, you know, but I still feel like I, I have days where I'm really off or days where it's really hard to concentrate, really hard to like feel motivated. And she was like, well, you know, how long, how much are you going into the office? And I was like, well, really not much. And she's like, you know what? I think you're just lacking some social connection. And like, you need to go like probably twice a week. She was like, try that. And I think you'll feel better. And I've only done it for the past two weeks, but I will say I do feel a lot better. Um, but I also know that like, that's not necessarily like going into the office right now. I'm, I'm close ish to the, to the office, but that might not always be the case. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, remote work in some form or another, whether it's hybrid or permanent remote, I think is very much here to stay for a lot of jobs, um, going forward. So figuring out a better way to, um, construct your life around that, I, I think could be great. So yeah, that's an awesome pick. Yeah. Um, cool. So my last pick is, um, called such a fun age. by Kylie Reed. Love that um, book. It's a, uh, I guess, contemporary fiction. It's the story of a woman who is a babysitter for a, a young, like she's a younger black woman and she's a babysitter for a, I guess, kind of privileged white family, um, and, uh, takes care of their young daughter. Um, and uh, there's kind of an incident in a grocery store that gets filmed on video and there's kind of this social media um, back, I don't know if backlash is the right word, but there's some viral video that goes viral about her while she's in um, babysitting for this young um, uh, girl who's white. And there's, I, I don't wanna spoil again too much of the story because I think a lot of what great about the story is like you don't know where it goes you think you know where it goes and you're very much surprised um so that's kind of all I'll say but um this book was just so I think one just a great read like it was a you know page turner and I always wanted to you know I couldn't really put the book down but the characters were so I thought drawn out and complex um the the mom who is the mom of the kid who's this like white woman who works and is very much a like career like climber and works really hard but also has her own like biases and things that are not right <laughs> and things that she has to work on and um then there's you know um the woman at the center of the story um this young black woman who's wrestling with her own um kind of where she is in life and her position as both an employee of this family, but also like the mom tries to kind of befriend her and it really kind of muddles this relationship. Um, 
and also there's another there's a guy who comes into the story who kind of brings his own layered baggage that is just so um like I just felt like I was like I have met people like this in the real world like I just thought the writer was so on point with how she wrote these characters and it was honestly again going a little bit back to what I said about cast like uncomfortable because I recognized myself in certain points and not not in the good guy position like in the bad guy position where you're like oh whoa I've done that like that is so uncomfortable like I can't believe that and it's so um cringy uh but it's so well done and I think um you know just I, I yeah I saw things from a different perspective but I also just thought it was like a really good read um so uh that's kind of my last pick of, of the year. Uh, I love that book. I love that you picked it. I would also add, like, just to echo your point too, like, um, particularly uh, with books where like characters are like bearing like ages, races, classes, sometimes like authors can't quite make the characters feel real. She did a phenomenal job in yeah. that book. Every person felt like oh my god yeah like and you're right like the cringiness like she held the tension and the writing like it was so good <laughs> and it was believable it wasn't like the situations didn't become so outrageous they're like oh that would never happen in real life like it was so believable um and there's so many different layers about and different um topics to touch on around not just you know um there's definitely like uh, things to talk about in regards to racism, but also like classism and, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, the line between business and friendship, but also romance and like, what do you look for in a partner? And um, there's just a lot of blurred lines everywhere. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it just, I think was a really good, good read. Love it. Uh, 2021, a great I year know. reading. Some really good books. Um, yeah, so, so I think- what are Oh, good. Go ahead. I was gonna say so like moving on to like so what do you think you want your intention to be around your yeah. 2022 reading well um so my intention last year just to recap was like right like recording or kind of writing down which books I read so I didn't forget my intention for this year and I'm actually going to change it because or change the idea because just to sneak in another book in there <laughs> one of the books I read and I don't know that it would count as a book it's pretty short but it's called 12 week year and basically to sum it up the guy the guy who wrote it or the author talks about how thinking about things in the, in the stretch of a year is just really like too almost like too long of a time frame and overwhelming to try to hit goals for that line long and he really argues that we should be thinking in increments of 12 weeks and set goals mm -hmm. for 12 weeks and really be intentional about how you're going to accomplish those goals within 12 weeks so with that said, um, I'm going to look at the next 12 weeks only and uh, not think about the rest of the year. But my goal is I have this shelf on my bookshelf, which is all the books I've not read that I currently have at home that I either would like to, that have kind of like been there as like books that I've not read yet, but um, have always been meaning to read and never got mm -hmm. around to. And I keep accumulating them. And I just want to like, Marie, kind of Marie Kondo that and be like either I like it and I keep it or either I like it and I pass it on to someone else or I like it and put it in a little free library or I just decide I don't like it and I get rid of it and put it in a little free library <laughs> but like I'm like I really only want to keep the books that I truly love and that truly bring me joy and I just don't like having them mixed in with books that I don't even know if I like or not so yeah trying to whittle that shelf down to zero um love that yeah. Cute. And then, okay. And then I know I said only would go 12 weeks out, but for the next 12 weeks after that, uh -huh. I want to build a little free library. That's my next goal. So, um, perfect. And you'll have the results of your first 12 weeks to start it, to exactly. be ready to fill like it. <laughs> my, I think dream in life is to be a librarian or to like, just recommend books for a living. Um, so I feel like a free little library would kind of maybe get me part of the way there. Yeah, it would be. That would be so cute. <laughs> um, okay, how about you? Any uh, intentions? Um, do I have intentions? You know, I think that this was the first year and I am 
in my 30s um, where if I was reading a book and I didn't like the book that much, I just stopped reading the book. <laughs> I think, I, no, I'm in total agreement. Yeah. Why do we, why do you, do you, don't you like stop a movie if you don't like it? You don't finish it. I don't stop a movie anymore, but I do get on my phone and just like freaking play Sudoku until it's over. I'm like, okay, well, done. (laughs) But I just, I totally, I I give the book, my rule is like around 50 pages. I'm like, I give you 50 pages. If you have not caught on, like if I can't see a, uh, Mm -hmm. that's why I'm donating them to my little free library if I don't like it. That's I think exactly like the right approach. And so, um, you know, I read a book, uh, Beach Read, this year, which I really liked. And so I tried to read um, another book by the same author, The People We Meet on Vacation. And like, it's good, but it is not capturing me in the same way. And I just feel like, cool, maybe I'll feel like it someday and I'll go back and finish it. But today is not that day. <laughs> I also think like going back to the start, like life's too short. Like there's plenty mm-hmm. of books out there that are capturing and yes. captivating. Why do you need to? Yeah. And back to like, you know, my kind of love of like fantasy, I understand in fantasy, there is time for world creation. And like, I'll give that time. But Game of fucking Thrones, call me never. That's bad writing. I don't care if it's good fantasy, it's bad writing. Oh, 75 years of walking through a forest and drinking ale. Like, get out of here (laughs) for a series that is not even fucking done. I'll make up the end of that series. He's not going to do it. I know. Had to save my time. Um, yeah I went into it thinking I'm gonna love this series and I did not and I did not finish it and I like that for me uh so that's just me protecting my time and making sure that like reading stays a thing that is like enjoyable to me and like uh restorative to me it's like so particularly like I I'm actually like very much the opposite and I am tired after I spend time with people um and so I have found though it's really nice to be like oh my god so great to see my friends love that we did that but like now my little social battery is drained and I got to recharge with my imaginary friends and books <laughs> and I feel like it's so nice to kind of protect that balance for myself and so I think that that's my biggest goal um my goal is typically to read 50 books in a year um, and I always get close and I never make it. And I think that that will be my goal again, to get close and not make it. And that's fine. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm pro- or hopeful for next year. I think it'll be just as good as a reading year as it was this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just visiting a bookstore today and couldn't, I was so excited. I wanted to buy like everything in the store and um, there's going to be a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And I'm starting with um, our next book, which I'm currently <gasps> reading, which is um, all you listeners, if you're still listening at the end of this episode, God bless. But um, <laughs> it's been a year, next, listeners. It's uh, our next book is Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. Um, and I'm very excited to read it. And I also think that like, oh, so it's coming out as a movie, which I read online by Martin Scorsese and Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio. And so I think we definitely should read it first because I always love to read a book for a movie. And then maybe we see the movie too and like do a little, Ooh, a little or, companion or maybe episode. We, maybe we don't do the movie. I don't know. We'll decide that later. But um, I'm about a third of the way through, I would say. Um, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a little ahead of me. Um, yeah. Um, I love that. I do know, I just wanted to look up to confirm, um, Sarah J. Mass, who is the author of uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses, has another uh, series that is, or you know, I, I guess it's a series now, but she's another book that was called Crescent City, and a sequel to that is coming out in February, um, and that's called House of Sky and Breath, and so I'm excited to read that already, Ooh. too. So just thinking about the reading I will be doing. That will be, that will be great. Um, yeah. I was just uh, looking at Goodreads, what what uh, won this year for best books of 2021. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't vote. I totally missed the vote on this. Um, but honestly, I don't think I really read any of these except for mm-hmm. the fantasy Sarah J. Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't vote or look at the results of that either. <laughs> 
Oh no, that there are some I read. The last thing he told me, one oh, yeah. by Laura Dave, who we read her book, A Hundred Grapes, last time. Mm-hmm. Um hmm. the people we made on vacation won uh yeah. best romance, yeah. which is the one that you said you could I cannot finish. <laughs> so you know, tea, everyone has their own opinion. Right. And we have embraced all those opinions. We sure do. And like I mean, it's not it's not even that it's a bad book. It just is I'm not in a place for it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um so you know, well. I guess uh, we'll end it there. Um, would love to hear what you all read this year um, and what you all liked. And, yeah. uh, you know, keep hitting us up with good recommendations because we love them. We sure do. Cool. Well, thanks, Katie, for another great episode. Thank you. And thank you to you as well. And uh, a great year of not so silent reading. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you. Thanks.